Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Suppose someone says to you, my scientific training makes it difficult, if not impossible, to accept the teachings of Christianity. As a believer in evolution, I can't accept the Bible's pre-scientific accounts of the origin of life. How would you respond? Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 39 of Mission-Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yagel. You may not recognize the names Richard Dawkins, the author of The God Delusion, or Sam Harris, a popular atheist who frequently debates Christians, but it's certain that the rising generation will hear their arguments either in the world of academia or in the world of the Internet. These spokesmen, along with over 50 Internet websites devoted to talking Christians out of their faith, are making the argument that science in general, and evolutionary science in particular, has made belief in God unnecessary and obsolete. In The God Delusion, Dawkins goes much further. He argues that you cannot be an intelligent scientific thinker and still hold religious beliefs. He argues that the more intelligent rational, and scientifically minded you are, the less you will be able to believe in God. Well, let's begin by asking the question, why is this worldview so enticing? If we would be like Jesus, when we speak the truth, we are to accompany it with compassion and love. To get at why this argument is growing in popularity, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever been told you are stupid? I have. And I'm not sure anything ever said to me hurt inside as much. No one wants to be called dumb or naive. Everyone treats those who actually believe old wives' tales with scorn. Educated people ridicule the superstitious. Modern people disdain the beliefs of ancient mythology that lightning was a weapon of Zeus. Wind was caused by Njord, the Norse wind god. Rain happened at the whim of the Navajo rain god, Toninili. No one wants to be laughed at and belittled as comparable to those who believe the earth was flat. Only morons ignore science. Being valued and respected is at the core of our human existence. In view of this component of human nature, let's observe three statements made by Richard Dawkins. Number one, it is absolutely safe to say that if you meet somebody who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane. Number two, today the theory of evolution is about as much open to doubt as the theory that the earth goes around the sun. Number three, faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. The rising generation repeatedly hears an open and shut case. No one with any brains actually believes in Christianity and the Bible. It is an irrational leap of blind faith. But is that true? A close look reveals that Dawkins misunderstands the terms science, faith, and logic. He ignores the definition of the word science. The Oxford Dictionary says science is knowledge about the structure and behavior of the natural and physical world. 
It is universally recognized that the laws of science are based upon repeatable experiments or observations in the physical world that describe or predict natural phenomena. At sea level, water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit every single time. Science, by definition, deals only with empirical evidence from the physical world. It is therefore not equipped to evaluate the existence or non-existence of a being outside the physical world. Science, again, the study of the natural world, is confined to the empirical study of the natural world, not the supernatural world. Dawkins and other advocates of naturalism can't prove that there is no spiritual world. They just assume that there can't be a supernatural world. But let's think about their logic. If I assume there can't be a land called England, but confine my search for England to American soil, I will conclude scientifically that there is no England. I might even say scientific research has proven that belief in England is a myth. That is the same fallacious reasoning of naturalism's adherence. Dawkins also incorrectly understands the relationship between faith and logic. Since scientific phenomena are by definition confined to the physical world and cannot prove either the existence of God or the non-existence of God, some Christians mistakenly think Christianity is not, therefore, logically plausible. They, along with Richard Dawkins, confuse scientific proof with logical plausibility. Dawkins' statement, faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence, is utter nonsense. The Christian church doesn't believe what it does in spite of reason, but because of reason. Peter commands Christians always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Both the Greek word for defense, apologia, from which we get the word apologetics, and the word used here for reason, logos, contain the Greek term logos, from which we get the term logic. Christians do not crucify their brains to become Christ followers. Christians must freely admit that no one can prove the existence of God scientifically, but scientific proof and logical plausibility are not interchangeable concepts. As we will see throughout this series, it is far more logical to believe in God, the resurrection, and the infallibility of the Bible than not to. Third, Dawkins ignores what science does reveal to us. The order of the natural world tells us there must be an orderer. Here's an experiment to conduct with your child, grandchild, or other member of the rising generation. While sitting in the living room, point to an object in the room and ask him or her, do you think this was made by someone or randomly came into existence by chance? In my living room, it would be, do you think this piano just happened because it evolved on its own or that someone designed and built it? Do you think this lamp just accidentally came together because a light bulb and brass pole just happened to get blown together in a junkyard with some electrical wire, or that someone designed and created this lamp? Man, you know where I'm going with this, but the kids don't. We need to help them see that everything about human experience tells us that if we see order anywhere in the world around us, there was an orderer. 
If they are walking in the woods and see a tree house, they know that someone built it. If they pick up your cell phone, they know they are looking at something that was intelligently designed. If they walk into the classroom at school and the warm-up activity for that class is written on the board, they know someone wrote those words on the board. The most logical scientific truth of all is that if we see order in the physical world, it is because there is an orderer. Paul tells us that this divine, logical understanding, that when you see anything ordered in this world, you know it has to have been created, is written on the hearts of all human beings. His words from Romans 1, What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Science, which leads us to see the order in the universe by postulating scientific laws, not only does not disprove the existence of God, it proves that logically there has to be a being outside of the physical world who designed it. In fact, the Bible says that this principle of logic is so clear that every human being knows there's a creator. We're going to see throughout this series that there is an irrefutable logical case for believing in God. Christianity and the infallibility of the Bible. So our loved ones are bound to ask, if the case is so compelling, why doesn't everyone believe? The question, like all of the questions of the rising generation, deserves an answer. So what do we need to help them understand about the origin of unbelief? Well, let's return to Paul's case that the order of nature proves there is a creator. Only an extremely powerful force could lead intelligent humans to deny the reality that every example of order in this world teaches. Order can only come from an orderer. What force could possibly be so potent? Sinful human nature. All humans are born with a sinful nature that suppresses the truth about God. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. And then repeating what we read earlier, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans 1, 18 through 22. Paul teaches that man's sinful nature causes him to suppress the truth about God's existence as our creator, lest we recognize our accountability to him. The picture behind the word suppress is that of holding down a spring. Nature unremittently leaps out to all humans with arrows pointing to its creator, one who is eternal, Paul says, outside the created order, and one who is divine, that is, one who is God. All are given this knowledge. 
but because our autonomous, sinful nature refuses to honor God by surrendering to him as the one to whom we owe obedience, and because we refuse to give thanks to God as the one on whom we depend to sustain life every second, our foolish hearts suppress the truth that he is our creator. In my view, we absolutely must help the rising generation grasp this explanation for why so many smart people resist the overpowering logic that supports belief in God, Christianity, and the infallibility of the Bible. But, and it's a big but, we must do it carefully and with great humility. Perhaps a more important question than why non-believers reject belief in God in the Bible is asking, why do I no longer suppress the knowledge of God as my sinful nature once compelled me to do? Just like my unbelieving friend, I too was infected with the deadly, blinding, fatal disease of sin. If I see biblical truth now, it is only because of God's grace to me. Paul is abundantly clear about this reality. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the sinful nature and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We must instill into the hearts of our believing loved ones a spirit of brokenness and humility and grief over the way sin blinds those around us to the life that is in Christ and to the astonishing love of God. Christians, young and old, seek to sow seeds of doubt into the false arguments held by the precious unbelievers around us. But we do it not in a spirit of condemnation. You don't believe this because of your sin, but in a spirit of brokenness. Lord, in your grace, please help my friend, please help my loved one see the truth that I can see only because you have made me spiritually alive. So let's examine just a few pieces of evidence that build a logical case of plausibility for faith in God. As I mentioned earlier, I believe it is wise to admit that there are no proofs for God that will convince all rational persons But here are a few logical arguments for biblical views that the accumulated weight of which is significant. First, naturalism is not logically tenable. The wonderful rise of science over the past centuries has enriched humankind immeasurably. Mankind has been fulfilling the task assigned to it by God, discovering and reaching the potential God built into his creation to enrich human life. Science is wonderful, and Christian scientists like Faraday and Kepler and Newton have led the way in discovering the order of the universe as revealed by scientific laws. But valuing the scientific discovery of the natural world is very different from embracing naturalism. 
The ISM at the end of the word makes this a worldview that believes that natural causes are sufficient to explain everything in our physical world. Now, the obvious flaw of naturalism is its inability to answer the question, where did this natural world come from? There are only two logical answers. Either matter is eternal, it has always existed, or number two, an intelligent being outside the universe created it. Science, especially the laws of thermodynamics, overwhelmingly refutes the argument that matter is eternal. The only viable explanation is that the natural world had a creator. So you will often hear advocates of naturalism say they believe in self-creation. The universe created itself. But this is a logical impossibility. In order to create, you have to exist. Therefore, creation would have to exist before it existed. A complete nonsense statement. The only logical explanation for the origin of the universe is that a being outside the natural order created it. Second piece of evidence, the Big Bang Theory. There is much scientific evidence that the universe is expanding outwardly from a single point. Stephen Hawking writes, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Something had to make the Big Bang happen. Atheist Sam Harris writes, Even if we accepted that our universe simply had to be created by an intelligent being, this would not suggest that this being is the God of the Bible. Well, Harris is right. But if we're looking for a clue in science that there's something outside the natural order, the Big Bang Theory is very weighty. Number three, the cosmic welcome mat evidence. This scientific evidence for creation is stated well by Francis Collins in his book, The Language of God. He writes, When you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, the gravitational constants, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear forces, etc., that have precise values. If any one of these constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, the universe could not have come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxy, stars, planets, or people. This has been called the fine-tuning argument. It must be powerful based on those who have tried to refute it. For example, Dawkins argues in The God Delusion that given the enormous number of universes existing over enormous amounts of time and space, it is inevitable that some of them are fine-tuned to sustain our kind of life. But Alvin Plantica responds to Dawkins' argument with an illustration of a man dealing himself 20 straight hands of four aces in a poker game. As his companions reach for their six-shooters, the poker player says, I know it looks suspicious, but what if there is an infinite succession of universes so that for any possible distribution of cards for poker hands, there's one universe where this possibility happens. We just happen to find ourselves in a universe where I always deal myself four aces without cheating. This argument would have no effect on the other poker players. It is technically possible via the laws of probability that he was not cheating but unreasonable to conclude that he hadn't. 
it is far more plausible to conclude that the perfect fine-tuning of the universe for human life is that this universe was created for us. The fourth piece of evidence in our case for plausibility is the concept of moral obligation. It is common today to hear people say no one should impose their moral views on another because everyone has the right to find truth inside him or herself. A great way to plant seeds of doubt in our friends' minds about the veracity of this bold assertion is to ask, are there any people in the world who are doing things you believe are wrong? Things that they should stop doing, no matter what they personally believe about the correctness of their moral behavior? Most people will answer, of course, genocide, rape, murder, racial injustice. At that point, we can respond with a question. Doesn't that mean you do believe that there is some sort of moral standard that people abide by, regardless of their personal convictions? One of the strongest arguments against naturalism, that this physical world is all that exists, is the undeniable spiritual component of life, the importance of love, our admiration of valor, the desire for meaning, the inherent sense that some things are right and others are wrong. Modern evolutionary psychology seeks to define these spiritual qualities as mere chemical reactions. But we know that love, for instance, is more than that. Evolutionists who are advocates of naturalism argue that altruistic people, those who act unselfishly and cooperatively, survived in greater numbers than those who were selfish and cruel. Therefore, altruistic genes were passed down to us, and now the majority of us feel that unselfish behavior is right. Tim Keller responds to this flawed argument. Today, we believe that sacrificing time, money, emotion, and even life, especially for someone not of our kind or tribe, is the right thing to do. If we see a total stranger fall in the river, we jump in after him or feel guilty for not doing so. In fact, most people will feel the obligation to do so even if the person in the water is an enemy. How could that trait have come down by a process of natural selection? Such people would have been less likely to survive and pass on their genes. On the basis of strict evolutionary naturalism, that kind of altruism should have died out of the human race a long time ago. Advocates of evolutionary naturalism's efforts to show the reproductive benefits of altruism, getting better mates, fails to account for our motivation to practice altruistic acts when no one knows about them. Evolution, therefore, simply cannot account for the origin of our moral feelings, let alone the fact that we all believe there are external standards by which moral feelings are to be evaluated. That doesn't mean God hasn't used the adaptation within species, what's called microevolution, in his process of governing the world. It simply means that a being outside the material order fashioned human beings. So what do you say to someone who says, my scientific training makes it difficult, if not impossible, to accept the teachings of Christianity? As a believer in evolution, I can't accept the Bible's pre-scientific accounts of the origin of life. Based on what we've observed, here's an idea. You might answer by saying, 
That's interesting. May I ask a question? How would you define the word science? You listen for the answer. So you would say that science is the empirical study of the laws that apply to the physical world. Right. Do you think that most religions teach that God is a physical or a supernatural being? Well, supernatural. So if God is a supernatural being, how can science, the study of the physical world, disprove anything about a supernatural being? To summarize this episode, it seeks to answer the argument that science and reason disprove Christianity, since Christianity is a blind leap of faith, like superstitions and fables. We began by trying to understand with compassion why so many people might find this view enticing. Everyone wants to be respected, and it appears that it is some of the most respected voices in academia and in the social media who are saying that no smart or educated person could take Christianity seriously. However, loving those around us also means winsomely asking them questions that might make them reconsider the view that they have parroted. When we apply the lens of logic to Dawkins' argument, we saw massive flaws in his reasoning. Science can't prove the existence or non-existence of a supernatural being, since by definition it is the study of only the physical world, not the supernatural world. Not only does Peter call Christians to be ready to show non-believers the logical reasons for their faith, Paul says that the order of creation proves to all men that there is a creator. He noted that it is imperative to help the rising generation understand why so many educated, smart people deny the existence of God, even though it is far more logical to believe in God, the resurrection, and the infallibility of the Bible than not to. The sinful nature of humans causes us to suppress the truth. But this biblical truth is not reason for triumphalism towards our ideological opponents, but reason for deep humility and prayer, since if we see the truth correctly, it is only because of God's grace. Finally, we looked at four pieces of evidence that make Christianity plausible. Number one, naturalism, though popular today, is logically flawed. Self-creation is an oxymoron. Secondly, science overwhelmingly agrees with the Big Bang Theory, and something or someone outside the universe had to make that happen. Number three, scientific analysis shows the universe to be perfectly tweaked by over 15 constants for human life to exist. Fourth, evolutionary biology, naturalism's form of that, though it has tried, cannot account for an aspect of human life that every human experiences, spiritual qualities like love, a desire for meaning, and a sense of moral obligation. For further prayerful thought, number one, why would you say the view that science has made belief in God unnecessary and obsolete is so attractive to the rising generation? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Next week, we continue our series entitled Protecting Our Families from Enticing but False Worldviews. We address the common claim that there are so many errors in the Bible that it can't possibly be infallible. Thanks for joining us today for this week's podcast.